Welcome to part one of Health System CIO's podcast interview with Dr. Patrick Woodard, CMIO and VP of Clinical Systems at Renown Health. In this segment, Woodard talks about the pieces that he believes had to be in place for telehealth to be successful, why he has no regrets about the work his team has done to roll out the COVID vaccine, even when it was messy, and the challenge IT leaders face in keeping their teams focused on strategic goals during a crisis. We should start with uh, an overview of Renown Health, just some basic information about the organization and you know where you're located, what you have in terms of uh, hospitals, things like that. So can you start us off with that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Patrick Woodard, and I'm the Chief Medical Information Officer and VP of Clinical Systems at Renown Health. We're located in Reno, Nevada. The state of Nevada is such a geographically broad region that we actually are more of a regional hospital for anything pretty much north of Clark County, which is where Las Vegas is located. We operate for that whole community and we are grateful to be able to provide services for rural Nevadans and those who even are in the frontier who just have difficulty accessing healthcare. We have uh, two acute care hospitals, a rehab hospital and around 70 or so clinic sites. We also have a great insurance division called Hometown Health that provides services, uh, insurance services to our community here. Okay. I did certainly want to uh, talk about COVID, how it's impacted your strategy and the organization. I guess first, from your perspective, can you talk about like what happened as far as core objectives and, and things just having to uh, pivot, as everyone likes to say now? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we were fortunate in the sense that we had over the course of a couple of years put together a really strong uh, roadmap for what we knew we were going to do, just what we needed to do organizationally in terms of our strategy. And mm -hmm. of course, three years ago when we started that work, we didn't know that there was going to be a pandemic in the middle of it. So we did take some time last March and April to focus on some of the urgent items that we knew were necessary right now, right? So we were planning on deploying Microsoft Teams in 2020, but we weren't planning on doing it in the spring. So we did it in the spring. And we knew that we were going to do some work with virtual visits and telehealth in the, the latter part of 2020 and the early part of 2021. We did it in March and April. And so in that aspect, I think we actually got really fortunate in that we knew that we were planning to do these things to help our workers be more collaborative when they're not in the same location. We knew that we had plans for telehealth and virtual visits that would empower our patients and our clinicians to see patients regardless of where they were and meet patients where they are. We just didn't plan to do it then. So in many cases, actually, we were really fortunate in that We'd already done a lot of the legwork and the prep work, and we just did it on a quicker timeline, which is not to say there weren't 80 to 100 hour weeks for most of our staff across the entire organization, but it did mean that we weren't starting from scratch, which in that case, I would actually consider ourselves very fortunate that we had had the opportunity to plan in advance for things that we knew were going to be coming anyway. Consumerism, I think the pandemic kind of highlighted the need for consumerism. And because we had already started thinking that way in advance, it allowed us to just kind of take the plans that we had packaged up 
and then deploy them at our organization just quicker rather than having to just scramble and start from scratch and say, we have no idea what to do. So in that case, I would say we were really fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And you said that the plans had been to implement teams at some point during, at some point last year, even before everything went down. Right. So we knew we had a pretty strong roadmap for where we wanted to go, both in our clinical systems and kind of our back office stuff. So we had Skype already, but it, Teams is a better, more collaborative platform. And we knew that we were planning on moving that. So instead of doing it in the summer or fall, we did it in the spring. Um, same with kind of the telehealth stuff. We knew that we were planning to do that. So we already had uh, the right demo account set up with Zoom for virtual visits, as an example. We already had the contacts. We already had it integrated in a demo environment. We just had to then put it into production and, and make the workflow fit for our clinicians because now they're not in the office, right? Now they're at home and it's hard to see clinic patients if you're not in the clinic, but you still need to be able to care for them, right? Yeah. And then how did that go as far as the adjustment? A lot of what we've heard is that, you know, there, there are providers who were, who were already doing this and some who were resistant, but from your perspective, how did it go as far as making that rather quick adjustment? So I think it was actually the perfect way to deploy a product <laughs> because um, the demand really was across the entire spectrum in the sense that patients wanted it. Let me go back, I guess. It worked for patients and for payers and for providers. And because we were able to hit all three, there's no other way to deploy something so perfectly as when the demand exists in all three of those domains. So a couple of things happened. The payers, CMS namely, said that they'll they'll have parity for uh, teleservices. The providers now don't want to come into the office because it may be unsafe. And so if they're able to provide the same level of service in a safe way from their home or from an office that maybe just doesn't have people in it, then now your providers are actually asking for it. And patients, same thing, they don't want to come into an office if they don't have to. So can they do provide that service at, or receive that service at home? So they're asking for it as well. So because we were able to kind of hit that area of demand and reduce, remove the barriers from all three of those, it was actually really smooth. We went in two weeks from having a couple of virtual visits a week to having thousands of virtual visits a week. And I really attribute that to, there was no single place that people were like, I don't want to do this. There were, of course, the challenges of, I don't know how to do this and I need to learn really quickly, but that's a much more approachable barrier than to say, I don't want to do this, right? Yeah, definitely. Certainly there were, you know, some positives that came out of this. Where do you see this going as far as virtual visits remaining for at least uh, a portion of appointments? That's a good question. In the height of things in the late spring and early summer, we were seeing maybe 40 to 50% of our total visits were virtual. Since then, that's dropped a little bit, but I see it settling probably somewhere in the 10 to 15% rate across the board. Some things you simply can't do remotely, I should say. It's going to be hard to do a really comprehensive heart exam uh, for somebody who maybe needs heart surgery. And for certain complaints, you do need to really be evaluated. Teledermatology has been around for a while, and I think it probably has been dramatically helped by this, but there are still some things that texture is important. The context of being able to place your hands on a patient and understand and get a good quality physical exam is important in some cases. In some cases, it's not. 
you can do a cholesterol check virtually as long as the patient's gotten their labs all day. There's maybe nothing yeah. physical exam wise that you need to necessarily get into. But for some things, you will always need to have some level of in-person. So I see us really settling in the 10 to 15% range overall, which I think is still, I think that's still a step in the right direction. We also need to recognize that from a consumer perspective, my parents are going to be more inclined to want to go into the office. I mean, especially now that they're old enough to have been vaccinated, they're more inclined to be able to leave the house and be able to participate in their healthcare in person. But a 25-year-old who needs healthcare may not want to go in, right? So as a health system, our obligation is to be able to provide the same quality and the same level of service wherever that patient may be. They may be at their house, they may be in a clinic, they could be in a hospital or whatever. So we still need to be able to meet their needs and provide high quality care, regardless of whether or not they're 25 or 75. Yeah, it is, it is interesting where you, ha- you still have those, those preferences in certain areas, but you know, to have that perfect storm really was an incredible thing. And now I, I know that a lot of the focus now is on vaccination and um, wanted to talk about the strategy there and how that's been going. Sure. So to answer the how's it going question, you've seen that cartoon that has like the dog, that there's like the fire in the background and the dog sitting there saying, this is fine. That's kind of <laughs> how it felt through the whole process. Right. We, we know it's important for the community. We know that we want to provide the service. We know that we have a really short timeline to be able to do so from the time that FDA gave the emergency use authorization to the time that we were going to receive an actual physical vaccine to give out. So the timeline was really short, but same kind of thing. We also knew that by June that we were going to do vaccines eventually. So after we got out of a little bit of the scramble of now adjusting to working remotely and having virtual visits and those types of things in the spring, it gave us time to think a little bit more planfully about what we wanted to be able to do as things progressed. So we had time on the IT side to kind of do some of the build to when it came time to give vaccines, to be able to make sure that people were able to get appointments, that they would have the data stored in the medical record, and that it would be given to the state electronically. So reducing the amount of paper in the process was important, Um, making sure that if people come back and need a record that they were vaccinated and they come to our EMR, um, that it existed in that EMR and that we weren't storing it someplace else. So those types of uh, elements that we knew were going to be important. Our challenges really were more around just the logistics of receiving the vaccine from the state, as an example, knowing how many we're going to get or how many we aren't going to get, which changed continuously. So the types of challenges that I think a lot of places have been dealing with, it's stabilized a lot. I think there's a little bit more kind of just continuity in the way that we're being able to to deliver them now. And we know who our general audience is. I think one of our challenges as we look forward to the future is a lot of patients in the community have already been to a renowned facility and we know them. We have a medical record for them and those are simpler. And so as the broader community has an opportunity to get a vaccine, maybe it's at the health district, maybe it's at Renown, maybe it's at one of the other hospitals in the region. How do we make sure that they think about us, number one, as the provider who's going to help them get their vaccine? But 
in another way, how are we going to make them see the broader benefit to the community of Renown as a vaccine provider? We're working with the state very closely. At one point, we'd given the large majority of the vaccine nations in Northern Nevada, which I think goes to the thoughtfulness and the partnership between us and the state, which of course we want to continue, but we also want to make sure that we're able to care for patients who maybe got their first dose someplace else and want to come to us for their second dose. And those types of difficult yeah. questions that we have to be able to answer, um, but we don't want to be answering it on the fly. And we want to still be able to provide high quality customer service at the same time. Right. It's really interesting because we just really haven't seen something of this magnitude. And you mentioned some of the, the challenges just as far as the amount of vaccines, but was there anything from early on that any kind of lessons learned or anything that you think maybe the organization could have done differently or, or is it really just kind of trying to learn as you go? I wouldn't change anything really because every decision that we made was made with the amount of information we had at the time. And I don't yeah. know if it's necessarily fair to come back and say, well, we know this now, but yeah. so I think we made the right decisions with the information that we had. And I mean, honestly, we were giving out hundreds of vaccines on day one, thousands of vaccines by now every day, which for our community is pretty sizable. And it was a little messy, but I think there's no way it wouldn't have been messy to get here, to be completely yeah. honest. Okay. Now, obviously, you have that, which is you know, really taking up, uh, I would imagine, a lot of resources. But what are, what are some of the other um, objectives that you have in your role? Because, you know, as we know, everything doesn't just stop for COVID. I think that's a really great question. And in fact, I'm proud to say that almost nothing stopped because of COVID. There were some delays in some things and, you know, we shifted things a little bit. But I'd say the big priority for me and my team more broadly is that, yes, we're focused on the thing that's right in front of us, but we can't stop driving the car, right? I mean, if you spill a drink in your car and you're on the highway, you don't just stop the car in the middle of the highway and clean up the drink. You deal with that while you continue on your journey. And we know that we have a journey that we want to take. We know that there's still work that we need to do to make sure that we can become more consumer focused and, and make sure that we're delivering high quality care. And if we stop working on all of that and just focus on COVID, then we're, we've lost a year or potentially even more, right? So our biggest goal really has been, how do we make sure that we're not overwhelming the teams with COVID work plus strategic work, but also making sure that the strategic work doesn't just um, take a handbrake. So to that end, I, I think it's our role as IT leaders in particular to continue to look out a year or two years and say, where are we going to be? If we want to step back to the vaccine conversation, I think there's a reasonable chance and there's more data suggesting that COVID may well become an annual type of event. A COVID vaccination, I should say, should, would be a, an annual event. And if we're designing something for how we deliver vaccines now, how are we thinking about it for how we would do this annually so we don't have to rework something in the summer when it's time to think about annual vaccinations. Same thing in terms of our strategic work. If we know that we want to upgrade our lab information system, that's a multi-year project in itself. It deserves to have some thoughtfulness in advance so that we're not coming up to a time where we thought we wanted to do it and then have nothing done. So I think it's our job to support the teams 
as best we can and make sure that they feel that they have the bandwidth to do the important critical right in front of you work for COVID, but also thinking how do we want to make sure that the organization continues to progress over the next several years. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.